0: Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. Roger Aaron's not with me today, so I'll be flying solo. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. We'll talk about purpose, legacy, influence love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com. So today I have a very special guest with me, uh, Betty-Ann Heggie. And Betty-Ann is actually speaking at our event in Toronto uh, tomorrow night, um, well, Monday, December the 5th, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, so it may have already come and passed. Um, but Betty Ann is, is incredible. She's a member of Canada's top 100 most powerful women hall of fame. Uh, so she's, she's, you know, very, very influential in the community. She's a mother of two daughters. Uh, and you know, she's also very familiar with the, the daily issues that women encounter, uh, when they strive to live in two worlds, stepping from the demands of the home to those of the workplace. So you might be thinking, why did you bring Betty Ann in? Well, uh, you know, as a result of her being a senior VP for the Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan, um, you know, she climbed the corporate ladder in a very male dominated industry, like very, very male dominated industry and, you know, end up running the company um, while well, supporting to run the company. Uh, and as a result of that, now she devotes her time as a speaker, author and mentor, um, you know, to helping predominantly women access opposite energies. So understanding the male and and female dynamics in the workplace, but also working with a lot of, you know, senior executives and, and men to understand how to create better uh, senses of quality within the workplace. So we have a very, uh, very great conversation in and around masculine and feminine dynamics and really understanding what those different dynamics are, how they impact our work relationships, our home relationships, And, you know, when to be fluid within one to the other. So it's a really great conversation. uh, No matter whether you run your own business or you're an employee of a business um, or you're unemployed, but you're in a relationship, no matter what, there's some really, really solid insight. Uh, And we're also going to dive into Betty Ann's gender physics. Uh, It's really interesting. And I was I was super interested in in talking with her about this. So um, without any further delay Uh, I would like to bring in Betty Ann. All right, Betty Ann, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to have you.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: The, The question that we love to ask our guests at the very beginning, which is tell us a defining moment about your life that really shaped and crafted who you are today.
1: I worked in a male dominated business as a young woman and we were, it was a commodity business, it was potash, and what happens with commodities is that when you have more supply than demand, prices fall, and when prices fall, companies lose money, and it's not a surprise to see that the top echelons of the company are often replaced, and that was the situation for me. We They brought in a new CEO who was not only from outside our company, he was from outside our country. And he was from southern United States, and we thought he talked really funny. And he came into Potash, and he was this very, you know, U.S. military man, very masculine energy. And he came in and said, looked at the numbers and said, we got to close down a plant. And when he decided to close down a plant, the locals were up in arms. This was a crown corporation, and people believed that these mines belonged to them. And... People were standing up in legislature and complaining and one woman or one person wrote a letter to the editor of the paper and said, this guy cannot manage his way out of a pay toilet. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that he was livid. This is a very masculine energy guy. Somebody was attacking his reputation and I was a new vice president and he was, get to the bottom of this, I want to know who wrote this letter. Well, the... When you write a letter to the editor of the paper, you have to put a name, an address, a phone number. The the name was fictitious. The address and the phone number were accurate. And the address and the phone number belonged to one of our hourly paid workers. But he didn't write the letter. So you can probably imagine who did. (laughs) Yeah, it was his wife. Oh, boy. And Yeah. So, you know, our CEO, I observed this. This is this masculine energy guy that I used to, you know, I used to say he's a walking, talking Viagra tablet. (laughs) And um, he, I just thought he was going to stay in his masculine energy and he'd probably fire the husband, uh, publicly humiliate the wife for uh, not presenting herself accurately, maybe even decide to charge her. His pockets are deeper than hers in a court of law. And he did none of those things. He switched over to what I would call feminine energy or to the attributes that we would think of as the feminine. He called her up. He invited her for coffee on neutral ground. They met at the Sheraton. And when she showed up, she was shaking like a leaf. And he didn't talk and try to convince her of the reasons why he needed to do things. Instead of that, he listened. He listened to her tell about her stories of her neighbors that had to move because he was closing down a plant. And then he empathized. And then he found common ground with her by saying, I understand exactly what you're going through because my father was an hourly paid worker and we had to move around a lot when I was a child. And I remember leaving behind my best friend, Billy, when I was five years old. And I never saw Billy again. And by the time they left that coffee, she was... Not only his best advocate, she not only was not his enemy anymore, she became his best advocate. And she went out and told all of the other hourly paid workers and their wives that he was doing the best thing he could do for the company. It made such an impression upon me to see this man be able to switch, take the tough stand when he needed to, because he needed to save the company, He just viewed it like cancer. you got to cut off part of it if you want the entity to live. It's not what you want, but it's the best decision you can make. And yet, when he was faced with an adversary, instead of coming down hard and continuing to be tough, he switched right over, showed his vulnerability, found common ground, connected with her, and made an advocate out of an adversary. And it just made such an impression upon me that there are, Important ways of acting in the world that finding the the attributes that are appropriate for every situation, and that when we're only using the attributes of the fem, masculine or only the, using the attributes of the feminine, we're like a bird flying on one wing.
0: Hmm, that's a very very good way of putting it, and I and I love the story. And you know, I think one of the reasons why. I'm, I've been really excited about interviewing you on our podcast. Is is because of the work that you do, you know, in in gender dynamics and talking about the masculine, the feminine energy, not just in the workplace, but in, in life in general. And I think that, um, you know, you're a great storyteller, which which I think we all just heard. Um, but I, I think that you have, you offer a lot of wisdom in in this area. And I think it's a really important topic for, you know, whether whether the listeners out there are are people that run their own companies or whether they you know, they're people that work nine to fives, whatever the case may be, understanding this, this masculine and feminine is, is hugely, hugely important. And so, i'm curious where you know where this sort of curiosity came from around gender dynamics and the masculine and the feminine is that something that has always been there for you or when did you start to want to learn more about this and really understand uh, you know these this dynamic?
1: Well I think working for nearly 30 years in a masculine energy mining agricultural environment for many of those years working as the lonely woman in management I came to really watch the way that the the spectrum that I would see of the way that a man would act to things if he was being very masculine, the way that women would react to things if they were being feminine, and then watching those that were able to transfer over and be in their other energy and how effective that was. And it, I, I would watch time and time again and see people use it effectively and just, you know, kind of, it was almost like I was doing my own research or I was experimenting. And then I started experimenting with it and doing it myself and actually catching myself. And then when I left Potash and I went out and started being asked to give speeches and then I started blogging, this became my major area of interest the difference between the genders. And really, I've come to the conclusion, gender differences are really a social construct. It's not a physiological difference. And all the recent research that's coming out is reinforcing that. There's a woman named Cornelia Fine that wrote a book, Delusions of Gender. And that's her basic thing is that all of us are like chameleons and we live in societies and we tend to adopt the characteristics that we believe are expected of us in every certain circumstances. And there was research that came out just last year. It's only a year old from the, it was done out of Tel Aviv University. And what they found is we used to always say, well, the difference is that we have male brains and female brains, but actually what they've discovered is that there is no such thing that... Um, in fact, our brains are a mosaic of attributes. And the the male brains and the female brains, those people at the far end of the spectrum on either side, are fewer than 1% of the brains that they analyzed. And uh, so really, what we have is that we have all of us that are just a mosaic of attributes. And there's times when we it's to our advantage to use the attributes of the masculine, and there are times that it's to our advantage to use the attributes of the feminine, and so that's what I call gender physics. When we have the ability to use both.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's so. What about the? I mean, because I'm sure that the some of the listeners out there having heard some of this, maybe not having you know seen any of the research before are intrigued because, you know, obviously where people go to first and foremost around gender distinctions is the physiological, right? Is the, you know, we have different parts and, you know, men have quite a bit more testosterone and women have more uh, estrogen. And, you know, just based on some of this biochemical differences, you know, people kind of go into that space. that Those chemicals are going to... Make you react differently in certain situations. They're gonna, they're gonna have, they're gonna call forward different reactions. So, where, like, what are your thoughts on some of that based on, based on the research you've done?
1: Well, the the research that I've done has been anecdotal. The re- but I've read a lot of research, and really, what I believe is that we have these different attributes that we we 're we 're born we're labeled pink or blue we 're socialized to um for to be, boys are socialized to be, be assertive to be tough to uh be very bottom line oriented to um, uh take risks to be courageous to restrict their emotions um, and girls are socialized to be consensual and to be good listeners and um, collaborative and be very good about sharing. Whereas, boy, by and large, boys are rewarded for taking care of themselves. And this is what I call gender pull. And even though each of us, I believe, have a natural energy, which is a natural way of doing things, and I happen to be a very masculine energy woman, I'm still going to exhibit a lot of feminine energy characteristics because I was born a girl and I was socialized and i was and I was given positive feedback when I was a good listener when I was a collaborative and when I um, reached out and connected with others so what I think is that all of us have a um there there's no there's nothing wrong with the archetypes of masculine and feminine to me the real problem becomes when it becomes a stereotype and we make people wrong who don't act in the prescription that we describe for their gender just an example of that would be um a woman named Lyra borotsky who's from the university of stanford she took two pictures of bridges uh, oh, sorry, she took one picture of a bridge and took it to people in Germany where a bridge in their language is feminine. And she asked the people there to describe the bridge. And they said, it's pretty, it's elegant, it's slender. Then she took exactly the same picture of exactly the same bridge to people in Spain, where a bridge is considered masculine. And she asked the people there to describe it. And, and you know, you can pretty well guess what they said. It's big, it's dangerous, it's sturdy, it's towering, it's strong. (laughs) So as soon as people even hear that something is masculine or feminine, we immediately assign it certain attributes. And when they don't live up to those attributes, we're uncomfortable with them. So therefore, all of us are going to live in the stereotype of our attributes to a certain extent, even though it may not even be our natural way of approaching things.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where we see it in action, but sometimes, oftentimes, it's kind of underneath the surface, right? We we conceptually understand that there's these different energies or um, what have you. So, I'm I'm curious, in your opinion and in the research that you've done, how important is your upbringing as a child that, you know, how important is, is the environment that you're in and how does that shape it? Or, you know, men that are predominantly more masculine or men that are predominantly more feminine, how does their upbringing sort of shape and mold that if, if it does at all?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Connor, but I've been really thinking Because I was a woman in a male-dominated environment, I initially, everything I wrote was for women. You know, this is what you need to do to get along in a masculine environment. We tend to attribute the characteristics of leadership. Uh, we the, the characteristics that we think of as masculine are the same characteristics we think that a good leader has. So that means that if you're a woman going into a masculine energy, into a mas- into any environment really, and you want to be perceived as a leader, you have to you know be come across as being assertive and independent and achievement oriented. In fact, there's research out of University of Michigan that showed that women who described themselves using those characteristics got hired, and those who described themselves with characteristics we think of as being feminine, such as warmth and supportiveness and nurturing, they didn't get hired. And there's also research out of the University of Stanford where they followed women from their um, business school uh, and they found that women who will um, present themselves using masculine energy characteristics are perceived as a leader. And they got promoted not only more than other women, but more than men as well. So, that says there's some good reasons to, for women to be express themselves using masculine characteristics. Interestingly, in both those cases, if women expressed themselves using masculine characteristics, they got promoted, but they couldn't stay there too long or people didn't like them. So, they had to revert back and cloak those masculine characteristics in a lot of feminine energy attributes. Now, I started thinking about that. That's good for women. And so I used to go out and tell women, this is what you need to do. And then I started thinking, what does this mean for men? Because men, if I want them to be able to use feminine energy attributes, how difficult is that for them? And, you know, what I'm finding is that it's far more difficult for men than it is for women, because the research shows that men fathers, especially tend to reward boys more than girls for displaying gender-congruent forms of play, and they also tend to punish boys more harshly than girls for deviations.
0: Just to jump in there, so when you say gender-congruent, gender, gender congruent, just to clarify for the listeners, you, what you're really talking about is rewarding behavior for boys when they play into a more masculine stereotype. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I'm actually just reading I'm thinking a lot right now at this very moment about the US election and the locker room talk. Mm. The day after the election I got on an airplane and one of the men who was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party was on the same plane and I know him as an acquaintance. And I said, Why are you going to Saskatchewan? And he said, Oh, they're having a debate tonight of all the potential um a leadership debate for the Conservatives and I said and he said And isn't it great that Donald Trump won last night in the States? This causes a whole upset, and we need to be rethinking our policies. And I said, well, I just can't abide a president that denigrates women. And he said, oh, you just can't worry about that. That's just locker room talk, and every man on this plane has done it. (laughs) And I said, you mean to tell me that if I give a presentation, a serious presentation to a group of men, and I leave the room, that – They're going to say those things about me? And he said, absolutely guaranteed. So I have been thinking about that a lot. And, you know, I do believe that men are socialized to separate sex from emotional commitment. And that means that they tend to say things to order to be one of the boys. And it actually leads to disassociation, and ultimately, it cuts them off from being connected in relationships in a in a satisfying way, and it leads to emotional repression. And what a negative thing. um For men, I feel badly for them, that they feel that they have to do this to be accepted, and that they then it leads to them not being able to enjoy their lives as fulsomely as they'd like to be able to.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very... It's very interesting because I think, you know, I see, I work with a lot of men, you know, from all over North America. And there's obviously a, a ton of guys in, in our community uh, all over North America. And it's it's interesting because there are some common themes that a lot of guys talk about. And a lot of guys will, will come into a relationship and it will be very physical or, or sexualized. And the, the part that will often be struggled with is the emotional side. And that's obviously a generalization. That's not saying that every guy on the call um, or every guy on the, on the podcast is listening to this has, has struggled with that. But for for a large part, a lot of, a lot of guys are taught from a very young age more about emotional repression than about emotional resiliency and it seems to be something that we try and instill in our kids is this emotional resiliency but but suppression ends up happening so i'm curious from from your end what does some of that look like because i think for our listeners just for them to get a good sense of what does emotional repression feel or sound like there's probably some triggers as a kid that they were told or that they heard that started to create that that construct for them so can you unpack that a little bit for us
1: well, I think first of all when boys are told to you know when boys are rewarded for restricting their emotions first of all from the time boys are little unfortunately for use, being compared to a girl is it, it's a way of it's a it's a way of being diminished so boys are told don't cry like a girl and when boys get older they're told Don't drive like an old woman. Any time you want to denigrate a man, you compare him to a woman, and yet those characteristics of the feminine are the characteristics that are going to allow him to connect with others, and are going and from that he's going to have a more satisfying life with better relationships. So when you restrict your emotions and you're not vulnerable, you I think it really boils down to boys have to learn to be honest. And they have to learn to be able to say what is bothering them, without feeling that in some way it makes them weaker.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because I see, and I think there's you know a lot of a lot of guys, oftentimes in private, but sometimes at our events, will will be very vocal about. There's a lot of shame or guilt around just feeling certain emotions, right? And you know things like sadness or those sort of uh, emotions that are often equated with the feminine are they they sometimes carry some shame with them. Mm-hmm. So you know it's it's uh, it's interesting to it's interesting to hear your perspective because I think it's 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 hugely important. I'm also curious just to circle back with the women that you work with because you were in such a male dominated industry and I think for all the guys listening to the call you know guys that I that I speak to and work with everywhere they want to understand how to really show up a, as a better leader and and create that equality and they want to understand how to you know show up in their relationship especially and and create that space for their partner to feel like they're thriving and so I'm I'm sure that all the guys you know that are listening to the podcast probably heard you talk about you know, when you give advice to the women that you worked with about how to succeed in in a male-dominated industry and space, what were, what are some of the things that you told them? Because I think that that's important for us to understand, you know, what are women struggling with and, you know, what does it take in order for them to move forward and succeed?
1: I think one of the important, one of the things that women want is they want to be, I think men feel like they have to be um, the protector and the provider, and really, what women want is a partner. We want someone who walks besides, beside us, who acknowledges how we're feeling and who's willing to share their feelings with us. And, you know, women are going to school and getting good marks and getting good jobs. And so they're out in the workplace um, making it. And they want somebody that they can share this with, somebody who's a partner where they can have good conversations and their feelings are not dismissed or denied. Um, I think too often, because men have had to repress their emotions, they um, are uncomfortable when women express theirs. Mm. And so, you know, I read so many articles about men who... Are afraid that women are going to cry at the office, and they don't know how to deal with it. And so, my advice to women is always: you have to understand that if you express emotion at the office, these guys don't know how to handle it. In fact, they don't think that you can actually express emotion and think at the same time.
0: Hmm, interesting.
1: So they think if you're expressing emotion, that you're not thinking. And so, if you and and so, what I say to women is really: tears for you are no different than a man pounding his fist on the desk. What it means is that both you and the man were attached to a program and an outcome, and your tears show your passion for that program, and his pounding his fist on the desk shows his passion for that program, but he's quite comfortable with reverting to anger to pound his fist, but he's not comfortable with you reverting to tears. Now, ultimately, I'd love to see all men get comfortable with tears, both with themselves and others, but what I say to women is, if you can feel tears coming on, say to the man that you work with, look... You're just going to have to excuse me for a moment because I am really attached to that program and I am going to cry. And I've just, you know, just give me a moment to, um, to compose myself. And if you've got a bottle of water, if I can drink instead of having a Kleenex, that might help me. So what I'm saying, you know, I'm always saying to women, make it open, acknowledge it and say, and, and, and try to help them understand and make them comfortable with the fact that you're not blaming them and there's nothing they have to do. It's not up to them to defend you from your, uh, protect you from your tears. Mm. It's just for, up to them to be there with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's great advice. And I think, you know, as guys, I'm sure that we can all relate to this, but a lot of men will try and go into fixing mode, whether it's in the office or in the, in the relationship. And we'll, you know, we'll see the tears And, uh, and this is, again, this is a little bit of a generalization, but it's, I know it's something that a lot of men struggle with and we'll see the tears or we'll see the upset and we'll immediately go into a space of trying to solve or fix the problem. Um, or we'll become defensive because we'll feel like we'll, we've caused that reaction, uh, in, you know, in the, within the woman that's, that we're working with or within our partner. And, um, so I think that that prefacing that you just gave there is, is, great because it allows space for us to probably hear what's going on as men uh and for women to to kind of take care of their side but i'm curious in terms of the gen uh, in terms of the age gap and and what i mean by that is you know you've probably worked with a lot of of guys that are you know 50s and 60s and and maybe even later later than that and i'm curious as if you've seen a gap in how men work with women in the workplace Between the younger generation and the older generation, like, do you feel as though the younger generation is a little bit more emotionally adept and and emotionally capable of handling this? Is is some of these these things that you're talking about predominantly in the older generation, or what's your take on that?
1: Well, I I have a little questionnaire. I'm going to give you a little bit of a roundabout answer here, Connor. I have a questionnaire that I give when I do a workshop on masculine and feminine, and it. It helps people establish what their go-to energy is. And what I find is that in the same way that I'm very masculine energy, there's many men that rate higher on the feminine energy scale. Mm -hmm. And what I am finding is when I – this is just anecdotal because I haven't actually recorded it all. But what I would say is older men definitely – are more masculine energy younger men and especially those who've taken paternity leave there's more a higher incident of feminine energy hmm. and so what i would find what i what i think is that we're we're getting more comfortable as a society. We haven't even gone into implicit bias yet, but that, but implicit bias is another one of my favorite topics because we have these ideas that men are supposed to act a certain way and women are supposed to act a certain way, and that is from our subconscious. And we know that we only use 10% of our brains consciously all the rest of our brain is hidden beneath the surface and is making thousands of decisions for us each day without us even know that it's happening. And one of these little stories that I often tell when I'm speaking with women is that here's an example of hidden bias. And I got this out of an airplane magazine, so a lot of your workers or a lot of your listeners here today have probably heard this story but or read about it maybe because I think it was in a US Airways magazine. But anyway. They did a research on hurricanes, and they found that female hurricanes were three times more deadly than male hurricanes. Why would that be? Because people's implicit bias, their subconscious, believes that the feminine is weaker than the masculine. So a male hurricane, oh, it's going to be strong. It's going to be violent. We better button down the hatches and evacuate. A female hurricane's coming. Uh probably not going to be that strong, probably don't need to worry about it. So people are getting killed because they subconsciously believe that the feminine is weaker than the masculine. Hmm. So all of us have this subconscious bias and we need to learn to deal with that because it means that it each of us are putting expectations on others for the way that we think that they should act based on our subconscious bias.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that those those biases are definitely there. Would you say that those are cultural or again, those are environmental? Like where do those biases come up from?
1: Well, they start when you're you're imprinting, you're setting the computer program when you're a young child, probably ages three to five years old. Mm-hmm. And so your question, that was my long answer to your question about younger men, are they less are they more open than or, and less traditional than more than older men? And so, our subconscious bias is being programmed at age three to five years old. Well, we're seeing a lot more metrosexual men. We're seeing a lot more uh, TV shows where men are staying at home while the women are working. Uh, the modern families, and as a result, I think that. That's creating an environment where men do not feel they have to be as masculine as they used to feel. They have more; it's giving them a broader spectrum of attributes to
0: choose from. Mm, yeah, I mean it's interesting because you know the the stats and the data show that testosterone amongst men is declining worldwide, and I think that that's kind of a. An interesting piece and that has a lot to do not with just environment, but with the food that we're eating and, you know, the high amounts of sugar and all that, that kind of stuff that it's, it's having a net, very negative impact on, on our levels of testosterone as men. Um, which is impacting some of the things that, that you've just talked about.
1: Well, there's also research They after the um, financial crisis of 2008, they did studies of testosterone. You've probably read this, studies of testosterone on the men on the trading floor. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened is uh, on the trading floor in New York, the bond traders, um, were, who are were all men, were – egging one another on. And so as one of them had made a trade and it was successful and another one felt he had to undo it, outdo it, and their testosterone levels kept going up as you had all these men competing with one another, all trying to be the big wheel. And it ultimately brought down the financial house. Um, now that it, we're getting more women, and it's one of the good arg- arguments for having more women and more diversity within organizations is it is providing some balance, and it's lowering the testosterone levels, and it, it's creating a um, more uh, measured environment around risk.
0: Interesting. I mean, I, I just so I just spoke on, on this topic. I just spoke on a, on a panel in New York and the, it was all about masculine and feminine dynamics in the workplace and it was in, mm. in front of like 1500 women and mm. you know one of the guys on the on the panel was uh, one, he's basically like the director of research for Morgan Stanley out mm. of New York and he had done some a lot of research in and around masculine and feminine dynamics in the workplace and the benefits of diversity. And I found this really, really fascinating. So some of the research that they've done, um, and it, this, you know, a couple other uh, institutions have done this research and found the same thing, was that when you had a more Gender equal board of directors. So CEOs, VPs, you know, chairman, that kind of stuff. When you have a, a more gender equal, so uh, almost the same amount of men and same amount as w- of women, the stock price of the company. Would be much more successful and much more even than the stock price of an organization that was all run by men. And so, mm-hmm. th- what they found was companies that are, you know, have a male-dominated board of directors are oftentimes the the stock price is much, much, much more volatile. Because what's happening in the power dynamics is exactly what you just talked about. The men are competing within the hierarchy constantly, and the feminine energy seems to bring in this uh, more organized sort of chaos, I guess you could say, um, <laughs> because running a company is just always chaotic. Um, so I found I found that to be interesting.
1: There's a lot of research that reinforces the value of diversity in organizations and um, how they are, as you say, more stable, less, more risk averse or risk aware, I think would be mm. the right, better way of putting it, um, that they have better long-term outlooks, better growth patterns, etc., better upside in a a down market. But what's interesting about that is that it doesn't have to be women that are there. It can be men exhibiting feminine energy characteristics. And that means that they do things like they um, say rather, that rather than falling into the let's all be really masculine and, and throw caution to the wind and show our confidence, they actually say, you know, let's have a look at problem prevention and, and just not at, before we start and, and don't worry about, you know, because quite often when you get a lot of testosterone, you'll get, well, don't worry about preventing problems. We'll resolve them later if we have any. Like, let's just jump into action. Whereas if you have a man that is more thoughtful and will say, let's just talk about problem resolution right now before we even jump in, let's exhibit some caution and balance that against our confidence. You actually can get exactly the same attributes from an all men, provided that they don't allow themselves to fall into the, let's just all hype one another up.
0: Mm yeah that's a really good point. Betty and just as we have to wrap up I you know I find this discussion hugely important but also you know really, really really like educational in in a lot of ways and I think what would be really valuable just to kind of wrap things up here is you know for all the men out there who how, you know, or who are listening to this conversation and, you know, probably wondering, how do I still be really masculine or how do I, how do I stay in my masculine if that's my natural tendency, but still support the women in my life? How do I, how do I still feel successful as a man in that, in that energetic realm, but still really show up for my partner and, you know, make, make sure that she feels taken care of in her feminine, how do I show up for the women that I work with or work for, um, how do I show up for you know my mother and my sister and make sure that they feel taken care of? Because as men, we we want to be protectors and providers, and we you know we really want to be successful with the women in our life. Um, but I think a lot of men feel like they have to compromise on some level sometimes their their sense of masculinity in order to do that. And so I'm curious on your take on that.
1: I really think that this all starts with awareness. So that if you can just start by think by being aware of a masculine characteristic would be that you he, he tend to take care of yourself, and when something good happens, you tend to st- st- step the center of the room and say, Yes, I'm very aware of my own attributes, and I know how important my contribution was to this program and I'm willing to take credit stop and think what's the other side of that okay well it's not just about me it's all also about the collective so say yes I am willing to self-select my programs based on what I know are my natural strengths but I also know that I can't do that that no man is an island and I can't do that without the help of all these other people and I have to take time to acknowledge them so it's like always being aware of the, what I call your complement, the complementary attribute for the virtue that you have so that if you know what you want to get done, take time to listen to the people that have some good ideas about how to get there because the feminine energy is will always provide the nuance and quite often you can overlook some important nuances in trying to get things done. So just always be Taking the time to be aware of what energy you're using and how the complementary energy can really make your energy better.
0: Fantastic. That's a really great answer. I, I, I love that. So, we're going to have to uh, wrap it up just for, for time's sake, but I do have a couple questions that I would love to just send you away for rapid fire. Are you ready for that? Okay. All right. So, Everybody usually asks what's the number one book uh, that that you would recommend, but I am curious about what is the one experience that you'd recommend?
1: Going to see the gorillas in Rwanda.
0: Oh, cool. Okay. That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, What do you feel is the most underrated trait for modern day success? Listening. Listening. Mm, Good one. On the book note, what is the one book that you would take if you were stranded on a desert island? and why?
1: Oh, Stranded on a Desert Island. I thought you were going to ask what I'm reading right now. Stranded on a Desert Island. Uh, I would take uh, Half the Sky by Nicholas Kristof.
0: Okay. I've never read that book. I might have to go check well, it
1: out. he's a New York uh, Times columnist, and he writes about the value of women around the world and what they're contributing.
0: Wonderful. Um, and what is your single biggest lesson having worked in a male-dominated industry?
1: That men are wonderful and have a lot to contribute and that we really need to work with them and hold their hands to help them do what they need to do.
0: Awesome. Um, Who, in your opinion, do you think is the most influential person of all time?
1: Um, Eleanor Roosevelt.
0: Oh, good one. All right. Well, thanks very much, Betty Ann, for being on the podcast. This was a great conversation, tons of value. And uh, and for all the listeners out there, I uh, hope that you got some great information out of this conversation. Um, for more information on Mantalks, uh, just go to mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and some of the videos that we're rolling out for the events, uh, which are going live as we speak. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you never to miss an episode. And, uh, you know, leave us a rating on iTunes. It goes a long, long way. Help man it forward. Maybe share this with somebody that, uh, that you think could, could benefit from listening to the podcast. Uh, and a big shout out. We, we just launched in Ottawa, uh, last Monday, a sold out crowd, 125, 150 people, fantastic event. Uh, we're launching in Calgary, which is coming up. Uh, and, really exciting. We have Betty Ann actually speaking in Toronto at our event in Toronto on December 5th. So if you're in the Toronto area, definitely check that out. Uh, We are also live in Chicago, Miami, uh, and LA. And we're going to be launching early next year in Philadelphia, New York, and a few other cities, which we'll we'll bring up next. Uh, So thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week with another inspiring conversation.